Now, a big part of what I teach everybody is make the most of the pictures that you got. We all have zoom lenses. We all have legs that aren't nailed to the floor. You know, you can pick yourself up and maybe move left or right or a little closer. But use the pixels that you have in the camera to the best of your ability. But I, I personally think mirrorless is, is the future. I think that's how it's all going to go. Yeah, they're, they rock. I mean, they're great. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Today we have the listening privilege to get caught up with Canon's explorer of light and friend of the podcast, the always entertaining and very knowledgeable Charles Glatzer. We'll join Michael and Ron as they sit down with Chaz to hear about his latest adventures leading his workshops to some of this planet's most amazing destinations. We'll also hear Chaz's take on Canon's new mirrorless EOS R camera body. So, Charles Glatzer, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. What's happening in your neck of the woods at the moment? Uh, let's see. I uh, got home from Antarctica, had wonderful bronchitis for six weeks, so I'm over that. Uh, and then on the 14th, I head down to Florida for, for a couple of gigs in April. So, yeah. So how was Antarctica, and how long did you spend down there? Nah, the whole trip was three weeks, but we were uh, in Antarctica for, for two weeks, you know, on the boat. It was wonderful. Uh, mostly a cetacean trip, scientific. Uh, so we're doing a lot of stuff with uh, minke whales and humpback whales. Penguins are molting, so some good shots of penguins, but none of them diving in the water and stuff. Tons of seals, leopards, you know, of course, ice, beautiful. It's an amazing place. I mean, just there's no place like it on the planet. I agree. Saw a shot or two you posted of the leopard seals. I was pretty envious. Those were a good was, opportunity. Yeah, it was spectacular. I mean, we're in the Zodiac, you know, and I'm sitting on the floor of the Zodiac trying to shoot them as low as we could, you know, with beautiful just aquamarine colors in the background and, you know, sunsets. And, yeah, it was stuff to die for. It was beautiful. Yeah. So how was it's not it a crossing place the Drake? Sick, though. Uh, we got lucky. We had stellar weather. They said it was the best weather they ever encountered. We had flat seas the whole trip. Not one day got rained out or snowed out. Um, and then coming back across the Drake Passage was, you know, like the Drake Lake. So, yeah, so I was putting scopolamine patches on, which I don't recommend. Um, I ended up with scopolamine withdrawal, which is not a fun thing. So don't use those if you don't have to. But, um, but yeah, the seas were just, it was, it was great. I mean, every Zodiac ride was just perfectly smooth. Couldn't have been better. That's kind of unheard of down there in, that, in those waters. Yeah, I got a good aura. Yeah. That's good. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. Hey, Ron, I cut you off. What did you have? Oh, I was just going to say that's not a great time or place to be sick, though, when you're doing that. Uh... No, I got it on the way home. Oh, you did? Yeah, so I was putting the silly patches on, and uh, when I got to Buenos Aires on the way home, this whole big thing hit. So, I mean, I couldn't stand up. You know, I was going to go to the hospital in Buenos Aires, change my flights and everything, and kind of sucked it up. Um, took some Dramamine to kind of counteract that a little bit. You know, and uh, got home, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, so urgent care and ER and wonderful, fun stuff. But life is good again. I'm back on the, on the roll, you know, looking uh, forward to getting out there again. Home nice. almost a month. My wife says it's time. You know, you're either going fishing or you're taking off somewhere, but you're out of here. So, well, so it was good to get you on right now, huh? She's, she needs a break? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have lots of questions for you this week. Um okay. 
one of the things you had made a couple comments the last time we had you on. One of the things that we wanted to ask you about is have you been doing more video? Been playing with the video, yeah. Um, basically, I've been working as hard as I could with that new EOS R, you know, from uh, from Canon, the mirrorless camera, and uh, you know, kicking and playing with the videos and doing some short clips and stuff like that. Yeah, we did uh, some seals and whales, and I did a bunch of stuff in Yellowstone and wherever else I've been. I can't even remember <laughs> unless I sit down and, and look at right. you know at the schedule. But but yeah, yeah, playing with it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a next step. You know, it's a logical progression. You know, I keep threatening to sell all my still equipment and, and you know, go video. If you did okay. that, what would you do? Would you go to a traditional video camera, or are you just going to stay with the mirrorless system and go that way? No, I'd go with, I'd go with a traditional, yeah. yeah. I'd go with just hardcore video, you know, do the whole 4K, 6K, 8K, you know, whatever. Right. Whatever's going on with it. But but we'll see. You know, I don't know. I, I got some things in the works that are uh, that are really pretty cool if they come to fruition. Um, can't talk to you about them on the air right now. But um, we'll see which way my career goes. So suffice to say, I got some trips on hold. I haven't, you know, really put anything else up for next year or 21. I got to kind of see what what's going to fit in the schedule. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping. We'll we'll see. You know, yeah. options are good. Yeah. So with the video, what are you finding the best use now? Obviously, social media is a really good outlet for that stuff. Um, do you do anything else with your video? At- currently nah it's just just promoting social social stuff you know it's it's hard to compete with guys like yourselves who are running around with uh you know super high-end 8k stuff you know and shooting all that footage a lot of it is access you know that it's time in the field you know and if something spectacular comes in whether you shot it in hd or 4k it's gonna sell you know so that's that's always opportunistic in my mind you know if something like that does happen but i think it's a quandary you know for me so we're set up for stills, and then all of a sudden a video thing happens. And unless you have another camera specifically set up for that, that transition time, you know, between setting frame rates and doing all that stuff with custom functions and getting in a video mindset, you lost the opportunity. You know, right. so it's almost like you have to have those two two setups complete, uh, you know, close at hand. Yeah, and even if you have them close at hand, it's exactly what you said. I think it's that mindset, right? You got to be thinking either stills or video. It's a tough deal, and I, I fight with it all the time because I love taking still pictures, but the video always produces more for me as in the outcome. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm kind of fortunate that I have done the stills all these years. So approach angles, you know, direction of light and backgrounds and all that stuff is there. You know, and then you, you know as well, or probably better than I do, but you're talking like, you know, short sequences, you know, 15, 30-second sequences of killer action, you know, that you're going to use to put together. It's not like you're trying to get four thousandth of a second and just freeze that one picture you know the foreground elements are not as critical with the video you know your eye just goes past that and locks on the subject but for a still yeah it could be problematic so it is a different mindset and it's the same thing when i'm shooting stills per se you know if you go into landscape mode all of a sudden oop, hold on a minute you know so i gotta clear clear your head a little bit and think if it's an animal in the image and i go to animal scape not a problem i can make a trick quick transition but if you start thinking just landscape and foreground, middle ground, background, and you know depth of field and all the other stuff and hyperfocal and everything, oh, hold on a minute. So yeah, different mindset, you know. Are you one of those guys that got rid of the tripod with all the new higher, faster ISOs and all that good stuff, and you don't t- even take a tripod with you these days, or are you still traditional and use a tripod? Both, both. But I I did pick up the 600. I'm ordering the new 400, which is uh, they're unbelievably light. You know, and they move the weight closer to the back. So when Yellowstone and when the heck was I in there? Um, February, January, 
All I did was handhold the 600 for 99% of it. You know, unless I had a requirement, you know, to do slower shutter speeds and pan blurs or, you know, or things like that, you know, there was no necessary, uh, you know, avenue for me to even use it. The whole thing for me, that tripod can be more debilitating than kind of an asset, right? So you have to raise or lower the tripod. If you have to go left, go right, those fleeting moments that make the difference between an average picture and the picture of a lifetime, you know, it's over in that 2,000, 4,000th of a second thing. So if I can hand hold, drop to a knee, pivot left or right, you know, bam, you got it. So if you're shooting fast shutter speeds and the lens light enough for me to hand hold, what's the advantage for using the tripod? There isn't well, any. And the reason I ask is because if you just go to the video, now we're right back to the whole tripod thing, right? Which is a big pain in the butt, but there's no way. If you're shooting long lenses. Yeah, you got to have it. You got to have yeah. a tripod. Yeah, yeah, there's no way around it. You know, I see Doug and yourself running around with, you know, 50-pound tripods and 25-pound heads. You know, it's not something you're going to pick up, run down the beach, and chase the coyote with. You know, it's just not going to happen, man. So, yeah, you're set up. You yeah, know, and, and then you got the, vib the vibration issues, right? So you guys have carbon fiber rails or aluminum rods, you know, stabilizing, you know, three points minimum on the on the gear. Nobody yeah. wants to watch, uh, you know, a video and have to take Dramamine. You know, not, not good. So. <laughs> and you try to... Uh you try to use a tripod head that you can pack in. So if you're going to hike in a mile, yeah, I'm not going to pack a 30 pound tripod. So you go with a lesser tripod just to get it in there, but then you're fighting with any little touch of that camera and you got jiggle and it just doesn't work. Yeah. So a it's, little it's a whole different ball game, but I think the world, like you said earlier, is moving towards video. So I don't know if you remember, but the, one of the camera manufacturers was talking about, you know, firing off like, 60, 120 frames, 240 frames a second in a video, right? So I was telling the guys on the trip, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time, where you can shoot video for video's sake, right, at twice the frame rate, you know, like let's say 60, 60th of a second, or I could shoot video for still sake and pull off an 8 megapixel still on a 4K image. It's a whole different mindset, but, but to rip off 60 frames a second as opposed to 10 or 14 frames a second is a big deal. You know, that definitive moment. So now go to 8K. So now I could pull a 16 megapixel still, right, off an 8K video. Holy crow. It's a whole other ball game, man. Right. You know, so a lot of the still guys are like, yeah, but that's going to be cheating. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Hmm. If you want to adapt technology, right, which is what you, we should be doing to capture the best images possible, how are you going to beat that? You can't. You know, so imagine 240 frames a second. Oh, my God. You know, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Yep. But you can't do it. You can't freeze a you know, something running through the water at a 60th of a second, right? So if I shoot it for just video's sake, that's what you got to do. You know, but if I want to shoot it for still sake, I could shoot it at 2,000th of a second. Just right. pull the picture off, you know? I know guys for, for putting stuff on social media, you know, they'll shoot video and all they're going to do is freeze frame a, a clip, you know? Command shift F4 on your little Mac bang, freeze it, <laughs> stick it up on uh, Instagram. It's the size of a freaking phone. That's what everybody's looking at it anyway. Right. You know, and it looks good enough to promote whatever you want. So, yeah, right. what's your agenda, right? It's not going on the big screen, you know, although there was a photographer. Shoot, I forgot his name. I can't remember his name. Anyway, it was iPhone stuff, you know, and they were putting billboards on the highway and buses, you know, from just small megapixel cameras, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's you know? changing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's changing. It's, it's big time. You know, so it's all coming down to dynamic range and autofocus and, you know, same stuff it always was. But more importantly, we all know. Maybe it comes down to your eye a little bit more than having the latest, greatest gear. Everybody wants the best camera. Everybody wants the best this, the best that. What software they use? Mine's better than yours. You know what software is best? The one you're good at. 
It's, it's right? kind of like the camera thing too, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, Ron. Well, no, I was just, I was going to maybe transition it a little bit because you kind of touched on technology and the different cameras. Now you had kind of switched to the EOS R last time we had talked. Are you still liking the mirrorless? Yeah, I wouldn't say switch to it per se. Um, I'm adapting the technology as much as I can. And if you pick it up, you like it. I mean, you know, it's instant looking through the viewfinder, which sees what you get, you know? So it, it's kind of like a, it could be problematic. So if I have a 1DX Mark II next to me and I'm shooting with the EOS R, you know, I look through the EOS R, make my adjustments, and wow, everything looks perfect, bang, shoot it. Then I pick up the 1DX and I fire it off because it looks good through the viewfinder, but maybe the exposure's off three stops. So, you you know, it's a difficult yeah. task to have two of those, you know, dissimilar cameras sitting right next to each other. But I, I personally think mirrorless is, is the future. I think that's how it's all going to go. You know, you look through the viewfinder again, you know, instant histograms, what you see is what you get. You know, so it's almost like the metering classes that we discuss, you know, how to do spot metering and all this other stuff. And, you know, um, evaluative metering, it's kind of by the wayside, man. You know, it's like having live view in, inside the camera. Essentially, that's what it is, right? You know, so bang. So um, tell us a little bit more about that Canon mirrorless camera. Obviously, they're... I don't know. I've never picked one up. I've never held one. I've messed around a little bit with another camera manufacturer's camera. Yeah. But is it how how close are they to getting that perfect mirrorless camera for the moment? Oh, I don't know. I, I think I mean, I'll be honest with you. The pictures are sharper than I've ever seen in my life. And the big part of that is there's no more disparity with quality control between the lenses and the cameras with the mirror boxes. That's all out the window. You're focusing directly off the sensor, right? So Canon has dual pixel autofocus for the video and a lot of other stuff now. So, I mean, you look through the back of the camera, you tap it, it compares the two, whack, tack, freaking sharp. So every subtle nuance with the resolution coming off the lenses is just mind-blowing. I mean, I shot a bunch of stuff in the backyard and in Yellowstone with the, the EOS R and the 603, the new one. Just, I, I mean, yeah, you could count hairs on a beaver at like 50 yards. The thing is insane. It's unbelievable. You know, I, yeah, it's, it's great. No more of that. Oh, no. You know, so I, I tell everybody this all the time in the videos. You know, you're waiting for everything to come together. It's the light. It's the subject. It's your shutter speed, f-stop, focus, all that stuff. To press the button. And for whatever reason, it's not as sharp as it should be. Right? So whether you fire a burst off and there's a little sine wave that goes through. And, you know, again, we all know you shoot 10 pictures, two is much sharper than the whole everything in the stack, and it's because all of a sudden everything equalizes, right? There's none of that nonsense with the mirrorless. Every time I touch the shutter, whack, it's tack on. I mean, it's amazing. Now, you know, and again, so this is Canon's introduction into all this stuff, right? There's some other companies have been playing the game a little bit longer, but it's there, you know, and, and I think I personally, I can't wait for that, that Canon Pro body to come out, you know? Um, I would guess that the companies are going to come out, you know, I'm not privy to it, but you know, maybe one more, two more at most iterations of DSLRs. And then I think everybody's going to go mirrorless. I just, I see it. And the RF lenses that Canon's producing, they're, they're unbelievably sharp. Right. I mean, just insanely sharp. So for me personally, no more EF lenses. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm just going to buy all the RF lenses, you know, or start to slowly swap over, except for the big guns or the specialty stuff. So, you know, the four, 600 kind of things. Um, the big EFs, you know, super tellies and stuff like that, or tilt shift lenses, you know, things like that. But as far as like fast glass and everything else, you know, the R with the larger flange and stuff, they're coming out. I don't know. It's like 
it's it's mind-blowingly fast glass. You know, a lot of it's going to be one four stuff. You know, so if you're doing any kind of astro stuff at night and all that stuff, it's the way to go, man. What's you know? the difference between I've I'm not familiar with RF and EF. I mean, I, obviously EF I know, but RF. Just describe the difference for us. Okay, so so the RF lenses are the new design specifically for the mirrorless camera. So think of an R camera, right? So RF. The EF lenses are the ones for the DSLRs, which you can adapt to the R with the EF, you know, RF converters. And there's three of those different converters, um, which you can utilize depending upon the functionality that you want. There's a control ring um, on the new RF lenses that you can use for uh, customization. So I personally set it for ISO. So I just turn the ring, can change my ISO, and then I change one of the, the back buttons to a lock. So if I want to change it, I just hit that button, got the ring in the front. So the EF converter, the EFRF converter, there's one with a control ring. So now you can take your old lenses and adopt the same functionality to the mirrorless camera. So yeah, it's it's pretty it's it's over the top, man. The cool thing is with those converters and the Canon camera, I don't see, and I'm not just saying this because I'm Canon sponsored. I don't see any slowdown in the acquisition or the um, uh, the accuracy with the autofocus between an EF lens on the on the mirrorless body. And that's something that wasn't really prevalent, you know, with the others. So is there is it all electronic, or there's no yeah. glass in there at all, right? It's just no, nah, no glass. It's like an extension, yeah, like an extension tube. Okay. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's just all contact stuff. And the reason they did that is, remember, the DSLRs have a mirror box, right? So they're deeper. So where the camera is going to focus on that sensor is different with a mirrorless camera, where you know the sensor is actually closer to the front. So they got to move it back, and that's why they have that converter. And then you said there's three different ones. One yeah. has the... One's got the control ring. Okay. Right? One does not have the control ring. And the other one actually has a 52-millimeter drop-in filter slot. So you could take any lens that you own and have a 52-millimeter filter and use it for every lens in your arsenal. Is it that Whether same filter six... tray that, yeah, that, that, that was yeah. on like the 2 to 4 or any big right. lens? Yeah, on a big lens, yeah. So 52-millimeter drop-ins. So you could put a polarizer, you could spin in there and shoot it on your 11 to 24, you know. Otherwise, you got to go to get those three, four hundred dollar adapters with the big, you know, giant glass filters to put in front of your super wides. That's yeah. actually that's a huge deal. Oh man, it's pretty cool. Because we yeah. were just talking about, you know, when you have the aspherical lenses, you you're buying a front mount. I mean, you it's, you can't thread it on the lens. You got to buy a front mount filter system. So if you're going to do any video. And you need that ND filter. There you go. We were just having this conversation up in Alaska, so that's a that's a difference maker, actually. I yeah, mean, it's, it's more cool. than just the way it sounds. Yeah. The other thing, I don't know if you guys ever played with this, but you know how you do focus pulls, right? So you got the front and back, and you just shift focus. So you could do the same thing in aperture priority on a video camera and use a variable ND filter. So you can just change the filter, go from 22 down to 28, you know, or you know, within limits. You know, you buy these. 10-stop ND filters. Well, you can't use the last ones. You end up with dual banding because it's just cross-polarization. You know, so, yeah, you know, you could use them, but it's not really what you want. So maybe you're going to get seven stops out of a 10-stop. You know, it's actually, um, you know, feasible. But, right. but, yeah, cool ideas. You said uh, it's not slowing down at all, but you haven't seen any loss of image quality? No, nah, none. There's no elements. Oh, yeah, that's none. true. None, and it's still, again, you're moving it further away, right? So you lose maybe, I don't know, I, I haven't really tried it. You know, some people say, well, you lose a little bit of the infinity focus. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I don't think so. You know, it's not like an extension tube on the on the same, you know, body per se. 
The only reason, again, we're moving that lens forward is that focuses on the sensor plane. So I'm not seeing any loss of anything. You know, I had one guy say that, but I don't think it's valid. I think it was something he was misusing, you know. Um, and again, I saw it online, so it's got to be true. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. So yeah. tell me about the size. Because, and again, I have not picked one of those cameras up, but physical size is a lot smaller. Is that hard to get used to? It's not a lot smaller. The Canon is not a lot smaller, and the grip is really nice. You know, you can hold that camera really easily. Um, some of the other cameras, you know, different manufacturers, those buttons are small, and you really can't use them with gloves in the winter. You know, we were up doing the polar bears again, and the guys had those cameras, and they got to take the gloves off in order to feel each one of those tiny little buttons. Well, in minus 40 degrees, that's not really a good thing to do. You know, I mean, you got to be careful with it. So, so, yeah, there is a little bit of that, you know, with the smaller buttons. And, you know, um, some people were talking about, well, how come they didn't put a joystick on the EOS R? You know, I think that's a little bit of a full power, but the newer ones are all going to have that, especially the pro bodies and whatever else comes out. You know, and they had a slide bar on there, but, you know, the word about town is it going to go back to the joystick. And that's great if you're wearing, you know, gloves. If you're doing studio stuff and portrait work, you know, in warm weather environments, it's not, you know, worrisome for you. But when you're shooting with, uh, you know, cold situations with gloves on, yeah, it becomes problematic. That was a little tough for me in the, in the Arctic. You know, I had to pull the, the big mittens off and just use a layer, you know. And, uh, and just kind of do that. But but the ergonomics of the camera works really well for me, um, except I, I really do want that joystick, you know. Um, but then that's coming, you know. That'll be there for sure. Uh, some people were talking about dual card slots, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, there's ways around it. I mean, I've never had an issue, you know. Um, I have a card in there and all my other cameras for a sail face mechanism or just to roll over, you know. So typically I'm traveling with two 128-gig cards in there. That's a lot. I've never shot that in my entire life. I just don't shoot that way. You know, it's not a pray and spray kind of kind of thing for me. You know, I pick and choose. So I don't ever think I shot 128 gigs on, you know, maybe I'm lucky if I do that on a trip. You know, I don't know. You know, I've never filled up a one terabyte disc. You know, of course, with video. Yeah, no no right. problem there. You'll, you'll fill that up pretty change. quickly. <laughs> 30 minutes and you got a terabyte in the trash. Yeah, That's or, right. You know, so. Well, um, what about battery and that sort of thing with that camera? Is it? A common nope. battery, or is it is it something it's, that they already make, or is it a new battery completely for that? Yeah, camera? they already made it. Yeah, it's the same battery as a 5D4, you know, so that's really good for the people who are making the transition or have, you know, other batteries. And I always use grips. You know, I hate taking a, a small, like, uh, mirrorless or DSLR and going like this, you know, and going vertical and just having my elbow hang in the air. You know, it doesn't help me stabilize anything. So I have to turn the camera this way, per se, and then lock it in that way. I hate it. I always want a vertical grip. And the advantage is that that vertical grip, essentially a battery grip, has two batteries opposed to one. You know, so I shot all day in the Arctic, all day in um, in the Antarctic, in Yellowstone with with two batteries in the battery grip. You know, and the battery never died. You know, so that was great. I mean, I had extra batteries with me. I never put them in. You know, some of that has to do with how much you chimp. You know, or <laughs> typically what I end up doing is you could set the mirrorless camera so you have uh, uh, the back of the camera show when your eyes away from it. You put your eye to the viewfinder. And then the back shuts off, and you can see in the viewfinder. I shut the back off. You know, I also shut the review off. I don't need to see what the picture is going to look like after I took it. It's instant gratification. What I see in the viewfinder is what I'm getting. Right. So that's just a lack of confidence. I don't need to see if the exposure is correct. You know, right. maybe, you know, the position of the legs or whatever it is, but I'll worry about that later. You know, but I don't need to double check for exposure anymore. You know, again, what I see is what I get. So I shut that off, you know, and just rock and roll. So, yeah, the battery's less great. So with the Canon, what kind of card is it using? Is it CFast or is it Compact SD. Flash? Or? Yeah, SDs. 
The yep. mini mini ones or the no the no no not ones. those micro yeah I hate those little micro things yeah the um the regular SD cards okay so I'm I'm using SanDisk I've used SanDisks from the from the day I started you know never really had any issues with them at all and those SanDisk extremes you need the fast ones you know if I tried the slower ones that I had you know just for doing some drone stuff and all the other um and I wasn't doing a video with the drones primarily I was doing some still stuff so it wasn't really applicable but um I had to get the faster cards. Yeah, it would buffer out and stuff like that. But with the fast cards, no issue. So yep. what do the fast ones do now on the SD? Is it like 160 megabytes a second or something like that? No, 500, yeah. Oh, they're do five. Is it the dual? I don't even know what they call those new CF cards or SD cards. Do they have the two rows of contacts on the back? Is that the card yeah. that you're talking about? So it writes yeah. faster to that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they rock. I mean, they're great, you know. Wouldn't want to be buying the hard drive. You're slapping on yours though. No, no. Those are crazy dollars. Yeah, I, I've been sitting here with my mic muted, and I couldn't figure out why Michael was kept ignoring me. But <laughs> far away, Ron. <laughs> well, I was just gonna. The one question that I had was about the about the battery grips for the vertical vertical use. And it has all the controls on it, the same as, you know, like the 5D4, the 72 yeah. grips do. I can't use cameras without them. You know, I just, yeah. you know, if you're doing landscape stuff, you know, and you could take it apart and just stick it in your bag, you know, if you're just traveling light, right? But, you know, and I got a little L bracket on there and all that stuff. But then, right, so now you need an L bracket without the grip, an L bracket for the grip. So whatever weight savings you think you had, now you got two brackets. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, it fits the itinerary. You know, if you're going to go out and just do landscapes or you're going to places where, you know, weight's an extreme issue, you know, like some of the locations that we go to, then, okay, yeah, I might leave the battery grip and that L bracket, you know, back at uh, at home, you know. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's on there all the time. Canon said, can you, can you put a picture up of everything you take to Yellowstone? You know, so I laid it out on the floor. I shot it, and people were like, dude, that's like a car, you know. And I'm like, well, you asked. I wasn't showing off. You know, you asked what I take there. So if you put down two pro bodies and a 600 and a – you know, a two to four and yeah, whatever, bang, you're in for, you know, for crazy dollars, you know, right. but if you're a mechanic, right. And you work for, for a company, you got a whole snap on toolkit that I bet's pretty damn close to what I'm using. So it's all relative. So yeah. I remember what I was going to ask you, does it have any Wi-Fi capability in that camera to send a picture right to your phone or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So some of the guys who were complaining about the, the one card slot versus two, you can do that. You can Wi-Fi the images directly to your phone. It's a little bit slower. You know, but if you're doing the the wedding gig thing, you know, and you're worried about it, yeah, you can Wi-Fi to your phone. Yeah. Yep. You know, or SanDisk has, has uh, drives that you can Wi-Fi to. The it sends a it sends a full size image to your phone, or is it? That I'm not sure of. Yeah, it might send like a JPEG large. I don't JPEG. know if it'll do, send a raw file to your phone. Yeah, I I haven't you know, had the opportunity or or desire to try it. To be desire. Honest. Yeah. 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 All right. So you're a Canon sponsored shooter. Explorer of Light. You probably can't tell us, but when are they coming out with the next body? Yeah, so, so I, yeah, I'm under NDA, but I honestly don't even know. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, I, you know, as much as I do, if you look on the Canon rumor site, right? You know, um, certain people are privy to like you know different products and things like that. You know, within the, the EOL realm or just Canon realm, and I'm, I'm not really sure about it. I mean, conjecture would say, hey, you know, the Olympics is coming out in 2020, something's going to pop, you know, and that's true with all the manufacturers, you know, everybody uses it as a high point, 
you know, NAB's going on now, right? So I'm sure everybody's over there with bells and whistles and the slider of the month club and, you know, and, and all that <laughs> and all that stuff. And, you know, selfie sticks with gimbal heads and, you know, everything. Um, so, it's, so it's pretty crazy, you know. Um, but, yeah, they're, it's going to happen. You know, it's happening. I mean, they came out with the other camera, you know, below the, the R. Right. Kind of an introduction. You know, whether or not they're going to come out with one below that, you know, I, I can guarantee you, you know, that they're going to come out with something higher than it. You know, right. and then they're talking on, uh, just again, on the rumor sites about coming up with something that's, you know, big megapixels. You know, even more than the 50 for the, you know, the EOS um, 5DRs and, you know, SRs and stuff like that. So, I don't what, know. What is you know? the megapixel on the R right now? 32, I believe. Yeah, same as a 5D4. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, and 32 is pretty good. Really, what do we need more for anyway, right? For most, yeah. of, most of what everybody does, you don't need more than that. Right. So the funny thing for me is people always ask, which camera should I get? I go, what are you doing with the pictures? Well, I use them on social media. I'm like, well, why do you want a 50 or 60 megapixel camera to put on, you know, right? So the sweet spot for most of the manufacturers, you know, the, the speed, autofocus, buffer, you know, that whole race to get to the top thing seems to be around that 22, 24 megapixels. You know, that's where they can keep the noise down low. They can get, you know, high ISOs, greater dynamic range, you know, all that kind of stuff. The higher the megapixels, uh, then it becomes a little bit of a quandary, right? So it's all, it's all kind of a give and take thing. So if you want to do product photography, 70 megapixels is going to be really important to you. If you're a landscape guy, you know, I travel with a guy and he's got, you know, just all medium format, you know, or Technic Carden cameras with, you know, all these different medium format 100 megapixel backs, you know, but he's selling a lot of, you know, 60 by 40s, you know, in, uh, in landscape mode. So, yeah, you know, if you're a magazine photographer, 24, 30, yeah, you're in the golden spot. Now, a big part of what I teach everybody is make the most of the pixels that you got, right? So we all have zoom lenses. We all have legs that aren't nailed to the floor. You know, you could pick yourself up and maybe move left or right or a little closer, you know, but use the pixels that you have in the camera to the best of your ability. Don't shoot everything in the center of the frame and then crop the living heck out of it. Right. So you'll take a 24 megapixel camera and they'll crop 10 megapixels out of it, blow it up and go, you know, this doesn't look good. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's the advantage for the guys who are shooting, you know, 50 megapixel cameras. I mean, you could move in a little bit, you know, so if you don't have the higher lenses or let's say you don't want to use a converter. Right. You play that whole game again. So is it better to crop the image in post or is it better to use a converter and get it bigger? Well, use the converters, you lose a little bit of resolution. Right. Now you put a 2X on your 600 and you're out to 24 power. So anything that you do technique-wise is going to be magnified. You know, whether that's camera shake, subject movement, you know, all of that stuff gets magnified. So is it better to use a lower ISO and a faster shutter speed and have a tack sharp image without the converter and blow it up in post or to use the 2X? It's, it's you know, it's a really tough call. And it depends on how much light there is and, you know, in a bunch of other circumstances, how good your technique is. You know, uh, it's, it's a question I get asked all the time, and there's no definitive answer for me. Well, yeah, you had commented earlier about with the, with the mirrorless system with Canon, they're coming out with a lot of 1.4 lenses. And obviously that's because, you know, the mount is a lot larger right. uh, than the old one. How is that going to shake out cost-wise? I mean, are you still paying for 1.4? You well, you're paying for it. <laughs> yeah, you're paying for it. You know, that whole dilemma where um, it's funny because I still ask people. So, you know, they tell me they want to go mirrorless. Why? Well, I don't really know. Well, so seems like everybody else is doing it. Well, I want to save weight. Mirrorless isn't going to save you weight. 
You know, if you look at the lenses that they're coming out with, you know, that, you know, 28 to 70 F2, you know, that's like a big Maxwell coffee can. You know, all these things are one fours got a lot of glass, you know, and they're heavy lenses. The body, yeah, you lose a little bit on the body, you know, um, size-wise and stuff. They are coming out with lenses that have a little bit more of the, um, it's not an internal focus. So the 70 to 200 28 that we have now is all internal, right? I change it, the size of the lens doesn't move. Use the 100 to 400, the barrel extends, right? So if you look at the newer one, the RF that um, that I saw pictures of online from everybody posting them, it looks like it has that same thing. You know, you turn the ring and it extends a little bit, right? So that's great for travel. All those lenses are going to be smaller and more compact, you know, so you could take more with you. But, you know, is it going to suck in dust? Is it going to, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that they have all that worked out, you know, and all the lenses now are, you know, at least all the higher-end Canon lenses are really weatherproofed um, very well. You know, I've never had a, had an issue with them uh, failing on me. Although, I have to be honest, and I still put covers on them all the time. You know, you nick right. the O-ring. All it takes is one grain of sand, and, you know, you're halfway across the world, and it goes in the bag. You know, so be safe. You know, do the, do the prudent thing. I'm glad that you answered all those questions. We get calls, all, or not calls, but emails all the time from the podcast where somebody, they ask those same questions. Should I go mirrorless? What about the Canon? When is Canon's new camera coming out? So just... Not that anybody knows, but right. talking about it helps everybody out, and they just kind of figure out. Yeah. At least you get an educated guess as to, okay, well, maybe I will wait till 2020 in the Olympics because right. they're and bound I, to have and a new I, camera by then. I honestly don't don't play the fanboy thing. You know, I mean, if there's other brands that have different attributes and things like that, you know, that's going to happen, right? There's not one camera I've ever picked up in my life and said, this is the end all. Each camera is designed for a specific purpose, and people have to realize that. So this camera might be applicable to doing portraits. That camera might be applicable to doing sports. You know, yeah, but I want all of it. Yeah, right, but you don't want to pay $8,000 either. So, <laughs> you know, it goes back and forth. You know, yep. I think photography should be called the art of compromise sometimes. You know, essentially that's what we're doing. Everything is checks and balances, you know. That's exactly I how at, I operate. Yeah, man, I want to shoot 4,000 ISO, but it's dark out. Well, raise your, you know, uh, that's how it works. What do you want me to tell you? Right, right. You know, I, yeah, it's, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough quantity. I get it. You know, I get it. Everybody wants a silver bullet. You know, okay, what setting should I put in there? For everything? You know, I don't know. Put it in P for professional minus a third and shoot everything. <laughs> Fix it in Photoshop, you know. I don't know what, it, you know. I mean, seriously. I like that P for for professional. Okay, except yeah, there's there's shirts and stuff out there. It says everybody's a photographer till M, you know. So you put the Karen <laughs> yeah. manual, and then all of a sudden, separates the men from the boys, you know. P for professional. The only thing that I don't like about that is people think that it's true. They've heard it so much that they think. I know. That yeah, but I know pros who do that. They shoot it all yeah. in, you know, in P and just fix it all in Photoshop. You know, I'm. I'm trying to use all the post-production as a um, as an enhancement tool, not as a saving grace per se. Right, you know? right. Um, and a lot of the cameras do a really good job, you know, with the the new meter patterns and all that. They do a pretty good job on until you have a small subject and different tonal relationships between a larger background. You know, so we go through that metering cost all the time. You have you have 90% starling on a high key background. What's the camera going to do? It's going to underexpose it, right? So now take the same thing. If you lock that in manual exposure, you zoom in, you zoom out, you go horizontal or vertical, every picture is identically exposed, right? Nothing's changed. Same light, same exposure. But put the camera in automatic mode. 
And every time you zoom in or out and you change the tonal relationship, right, percentage-wise in that meter pattern gives you a different recommendation. So you're always changing the compensation to get back to what you already knew was a correct exposure in the first place. It becomes a tail wagging the dog. So while you're concentrating on the exposure and you're constantly playing photo roulette, you know, I tell everybody, it's like, doo, doo, doo. you know, all you're doing is sitting there dialing the damn compensation wheel, can't be shooting pictures. Right. You know, and that's what we just actually uh, finished up a trip in Alaska. And when, when you were saying you never filled up a 128 gigabyte card, I, I was here on mute saying, I wish you would have been in Alaska with us because <laughs> Michael, what'd you shoot? Oh, I shot 10,000 images in two hours. But yeah. we're shooting flying eagles. I mean, in yeah, that okay. one of those deals yeah. where yeah. you, you yeah, can't. Right. You can't right. And so we had, we had just the situation that you were talking about. We had these eagles that are in the same light. But then our backgrounds, we've got one side that's in full sun. We've got the other side that's in full shadow. And we're getting these amazing dramatic images. And if I would have had to have been messing with a, a compensation wheel going back and forth between those two, can't it would it. have been impossible. So that's a situation like you're talking about where you switch it to manual. They're all in the same light. You just keep shooting. Right. So what I do is I have what I call a window of opportunity, right? So you look out off that boat. That's where the light's best. That's where the background's best. That's the only place I'm going to shoot the pictures. So I set up for that. You know, so one, one guy one time on a website, he's like, so you're going to tell me that you, that method is better than me putting it in automatic mode right? And dial in the compensation with this bird flying through dappled light in the forest. I said, yeah, your method's better. So he goes, I knew it. So he said, why? So I said, because I'm not shooting that crap. I'm going to be having lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so why am I going to try and shoot a dappled light bird flying through the, you know, uh, which one looks good? Well, I don't know, but one of them, will be, no, it won't. Right. Yeah. So if you look at, look at Mike now, every time he leans forward or backwards, right, it's getting lighter or darker. Yep. Right. right. It's just a little you know, the little meter in the, you know, your little camera on your computer. You know, you move in, move out, background changes. You know, totally. there it is. Case in point. My yep. job is done. So, <laughs> so. Well, and I think that's what I did exactly with those eagles is I figured out what I wanted to set with that dark background. That was the shot. So yeah. I, I sat there for an hour working on those images. And then I'm like, okay, I think I got enough there. I'm going to totally switch everything, go for this background, there and then go. forget about because I'm not going to get both. Either one or go. the other, you pick it, it's your opportunity, do it. A hundred percent. Yeah. So everybody who's accomplished in this, right, and kind of knows what they're doing, um, says exactly what you just did and what I did and what Ron said. You know, after a while, you kind of learn by your mistakes. Said, I can't shoot everything, so I need to be goal-oriented. So I'm going to shoot this for a moment, and then I'm going to try and shoot that. Now, let's say serendipity happens and Bigfoot pops out of the woods and starts jumping up and down. Well, okay, you're going to do your best guess, right? right. You know, and you're going to rip it off and you're going to try and take advantage of it. It's not going to be sharp anyway because just Bigfoot's blurry. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, <laughs> but it might be properly exposed. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, we try and capitalize on it. But if we're goal-oriented, you know, and you say, okay, here's the scenario. This is best. I'm going to work within that, you know, that little realm. And then I'll move on to, you know, backlighting. You know, set it up for backlighting, side lighting. You know, same thing, backlighting. Everybody goes crazy. Oh, my God, how do I set up for that? I go, well, it's just the same sunlight hitting the back of the bird. So your exposure should be the same if you want a rim light. What? Well, <laughs> same sunlight hitting the back, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so everybody goes crazy because they think they bought a $4,000, $6,000 camera, and it knows more than they do. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't. Just got to stop, breathe. You know, by the way, 
Every picture we shoot's got metadata on it. So we go to Florida, right? And people go crazy. Oh my God, it's a white bird on, you know, on a white background. It's so hard. I go, just put it where it's supposed to be on the histogram, right? So I, it's, if you have a higher dynamic camera, it's 1250 at F8 at 200 ISO. So essentially you're shutting down two thirds of a stop from sunny 16 to the white. Every white bird in Florida on a sunny day, is the same dang exposure. What about the background? I don't care about the background. I care about the light on the subject, right? I want the subject properly exposed. So you take the same egret in a dark background and a light background, it's the same light. Same light, same exposure. It's perfect. So you go there next year in May, and you go, wonder what the exposure is. Well, you already figured it out last year. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? You get out of the car, set in the camera, and rock, rock and roll. Takes off. So three clicks up, three clicks down. I'm at 2,500 at 5.6. Bing. So how many people on your on your workshops when you go out there and the, you know they start out the week or the few days in that mode where they're like what do I do what do I do and then by the time they leave they're like man you just totally opened this up and made it all understandable and I, I would love so, to go on a workshop with you you just got it all dialed in it's the biggest it's the biggest reward for me right so I I don't enter a lot of the contests you know part of that is I think it's um uh. It's like competitive with the people who travel with me. It's like a non-compete thing. You know, so if I take you on the trip and you get the best thing of your life and you enter in the BBC and you win, that's the accolade for me, right? So it's funny because when I was just in, uh, in the Arctic doing the polar bears, so there were a couple of guys from NG there, and they said, hey, Chaz, you know, how you doing? And I said, hey, we're doing good. So they said, yeah, we just saw the, you know, the BBC stuff, you know, and all those contests, nature's best. And uh, yeah, so what we were asking ourselves is, I wonder how many of those participants were on Chaz's trips. So there's a lot of those, you know, and, and that's my job as an educator. It's not about me getting the best picture. It's about them trying to get the best picture. You know, now, of course, those who sponsor me want me to do those contests because it helps your notoriety and all that. Right. You know, but I'm pretty sure the three of us know if we took a good picture or not. Exactly. You know, so that's okay. You know, and I get it. But there are a lot of people, and the best thing ever is when they go, boop, the light bulb went off. Holy crow, you just changed everything I do. So whether or not it's, it's understanding how metering works or just the premise of being proactive, you know, see the picture in your mind first, figure out the tools and techniques to capture that vision. Well, why is that such a novel idea, right? Otherwise, you're behind the eight ball. You give the power to the camera, right? You turn, shoot left, now you have to look at it. Oops, it's two stops dark. You just lost a picture of a lifetime. Well, how about the bears walking from sun to shade? You want to shoot him in the shady spot. You figure out the correct exposure before he gets there. Mm -hmm. Take the picture. I don't care whether the bear's there or not. I don't care if the bear's looking left or looking right. All it is is a test shot. Fire it off, man. Virtual money costs you nothing. <laughs> Delete it. Right? So then when it does happen, you got it. You know, but it's just that mindset, you know, right. and a lot of people don't think about it. And uh, I think that's, that's just elevating the process. You know, and now you become a photographer rather than a, a documentarian, per se, you know, and you can understand what's going on and you take control of it. You know, and I, I guess for me, it was it was always about the process more than the image, per se. You know, so what's the best picture you got? I don't know. Hopefully the one I'm going to take tomorrow. You know, I mean, I do look at my body of work sometimes when I'm putting together a program. I go, well, you know, wow, there's a lot of nice ones in here, you know, but but the reality is that in order to do that on a consistent basis, you have to understand what the camera's doing, you know, how it's interpreting what you see. And if you don't do that, how do you repeat it? You know, so you, you fire up a couple of good pictures. You look at it and go, wow, I got a great one. Why? Well, Dan Defino. Well, then how do you repeat it, right? 
So you look at the metadata, and if that picture was good today with those settings, well, tomorrow in the same circumstances, it's going to be pretty good. So like I said, 1250 F8, you know, you're not really sure? So they call it Sunny 22. Shut down one stop for the white highlights, right? So you could shoot 2,000 or 1,600 of a second at F8, you know, with 200 ISO, and every white bird in Florida will be perfect in the sun. You know, it's not as hard as everybody has to make it. But right. it's good job security for me, so I'm... <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So speaking of your you know, seminars and what you got coming up, and you already said, or not seminars, workshops, you said you're going to Florida. What What is on tap for 2019 for the summer, fall yeah. season for you? Let's see. We got we got a speed engagement for Canon. Um, uh, image Makers, that's coming up on the 14th. That's in Minnesota. And I come home for a couple of days, and I drive back down to Florida. So I have um, St. Augustine uh, Photo Fest. So that's a great venue. Um, I've hosted it, I don't know, I think probably the, the oldest, longest guy there now. I'm not sure when exactly that happened, but um, I'm no longer the youngest guy on my trips. Snuck up on me, man. Yep. It's evil. It's evil. And then I had the four-day tech series that we do in Florida. So it's a day full of metering, day of uh, uh, flash, post-production, visual skills. So we have proprietary access to the rookery. We get there. We shoot. We go in the classroom, uh, you know, talk about tools and techniques and go out in the field and practice it. So that's always been a, you know, a great venue for everybody. And they walk away, uh, you know, with everything that they're doing, elevated in a short amount of time. Um, May, we have uh, black bears. And then I have a, a spot on the Canadian border that we do pelicans, which is mind-blowing. Um, June is loons um, back up in Michigan. Uh, so we got a couple of pairs of loons that we have habituated. And it's just over-the-top crazy. It's beautiful. Um, July, August are all brown bears. So I think I have three or four uh, brown bear trips. Um, yeah. And then August is more brown bears. Um, September, I think I kind of said I'm not going to book anything. You know, spend some, some more time with the family and all that. Got two granddaughters now, so I would like to see them grow up. Right. Uh, October October's Galapagos. November's two polar bear trips. Yeah, so it's crazy. Keep threatening to slow down. You know, um, that just doesn't seem to be, be happening. You know, so I think we discussed that with Mark last time. Yeah. You know, as long as, uh, you know, God willing, I got my health and, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, no reason to slow down. I mean, it's not like I don't enjoy what I'm doing, right? So Exactly. So can people sign up for all those trips, or are they full, or how would they find Yeah, them? hopefully they could sign up for all of them. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> I think you should state that again. But, um, yeah, they could, they could go to shootthelight.com and, and see what we do, you know, for the workshops. Um, we usually list the, the seminars and speaking engagements on there as well. And then there's uh, private lessons, you know, if they want to do one-on-ones. And I've had people come from all over the world and spend three days, five days a week with us, you know, that kind of stuff, or ship me over there where they are if it's, uh, you know, applicable and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, I'm not good every day. I seriously, you know, I came back from Antarctica. I sat on the couch and I had tears in my eyes, you know, for two reasons. First, I was away from my family for three weeks. You know, my little granddaughter is only six months old, so it looked like a different person. And then you just can't believe where you just came from, you know, and what I just got to see, you know? So part of this for me is, um, it's be among them, be my voice. And I could tell you how that came about you know, on another time. But it's it's not just what I do anymore. It's all those people that I've taught who are now sharing their images and maybe teaching other people. So be among them, be among the animals, be among the people. So that voice, that's just not my voice anymore. It's everybody's voice. Sharing images for conservation. You know, telling people these are endangered species and habitat protection. You know, which for me, 
is that's the pinnacle. That's what it is. It's not just about me shooting the pictures anymore. You know, it's about we're telling a story, you know, and I don't know if you saw online, but it was like two tons, I think, of pangolin scales, you know, that they've twice now confiscated within, you know, a month or two of each other, you know, in Singapore, 4,000 or, you know, 8,000 pounds of pangolin scales. What the, I've been to Africa multiple times. I've seen two pangolins the whole time. Now you know why. Right. You know, so what's, how do we educate people? You know, what do we do? You know, it's, it's a scary, scary thing. It really is. Ron, I haven't yeah. let you say anything. You got anything? I've been listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm not on mute anymore. Just listening. No. And I think, you know, obviously the way that, the way that you teach, you're entertaining the way that you teach people. Uh, obviously that's what, what landed you the, the accolades with Canon as a Explorer light, but it is, you know, initially I saw your address was in Carolinas and then I get there and you're fast talking New York guy. <laughs> yeah. You've got to learn to keep up. Your mind's got to cal- calibrate itself, but I'll tell you, there's a lot to be gained. Thank you. Yeah. Tom Hogan said, uh, yeah, the only problem going with Chaz is you need a tape recorder, you know, cause if you <laughs> ask him one question, you're going to get, you know, zap with a bunch of other answers and you know it's funny when i do those videos you know for for production value and things like that i i purposefully talk slower you know i try and do it or have a couple of scotches beforehand you know and talk slower not to the point that i slur my pauses that's not good but but you know so you just kind of slow down a little bit but when i do some speaking engagements and i'm trying to cram like 36 years now into an hour speaking engagement i tend to do that i tend to try and give people too much you know, when I try and slow it down, but it's just crazy enthusiasm, you know, and uh, I really want people to learn, you know, and, and get the whole thing and sit there and awe and want them to have more, you know, and get them fired up, you know, regardless of whatever tool they're using, you know, to get out there and enjoy it. And sometimes you got to put the camera down, you know, and just sit there and just suck in where you are. You know, yeah. I'm not a real religious guy, but my wife says, hey, when you go out there, you ever have like spiritual? Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think last time we spoke about it, I had like 12 wolves howling under an aurora at night. I'm like, am I, am I going towards the light? You know, <laughs> circling the drain? I mean, what the hell? Circling the drain. Yeah, I've man. never heard that. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, how you sit there and you get tears in your eyes. Well, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. mesmerizing. Yeah. And there's a fraction right. of people on, on this planet that have ever had that experience, right? Right. Right. And, and thank goodness, you know, and a lot of people will comment when we post the pictures that thank you for taking me to places I'll never get to go. You know, so that's awesome that you can, you know, you, all of us can do that. You know, not everybody has either the wherewithal, or the time or, you know, resources or or uh, desire to go out in minus 40 degrees, you know, but at least we could bring it to them. You know, and like Mike's doing now with the high end video, you know, for for all these big production companies and and, uh, you know, Dennis and the other guys, I mean. It's it's over the top, you know, and it's increasing awareness, you know, for people. And they are starting to see, you know, um, the value in it, you know. And like we go to Africa now, you know, I can only imagine what it was 50 years ago, you know. I exactly. I can't believe it. You know how many elephants we see with long tusks? It's it's rare. There's a couple of places left that had that, yep. you know, to the point now that they're being bred, you know, genetically without it. You know, it's just evolution taking its course now. And, um, yeah, it's. It's crazy. You know, I don't know how much of it's going to be left, but, you know, so people are like, yeah, but you've done that. 
yeah, but now I got a new camera that's really cool. I want to go back and do it again, <laughs> right? So whether or not that could be self-imposed, probably, you know. But but yeah, you do. You just want to keep going back, you know. Well, and I suspect even if you didn't have a new camera, you want to go back anyway, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm sure I would. Yeah. I tell my wife, I said, you know, I I could go now without the camera and just see other people do. And she goes, yeah, till something happens. <laughs> yeah. So she's probably right, you know. She's probably right. That's when and you I've whip been, out the old phone and take a picture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've been to the Falklands like 14 times now, you know, and each time I kind of look through the portfolio and I say, okay, maybe I'll fill in the gaps. So this time I'm going to take like an 11 to 24 and maybe a longer lens. I got all the stuff in the middle, you know, and she says, well, yeah, till something happens and you're like nuts. Where's my 70 and too much. <laughs> so, so yeah. Right. They're smart. They're smart. Those ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a fact. That is a fact. Well, it's been awesome to talk with you. We really appreciate it. Um, we're hit about the end of this. Do you have anything else, Ron? No, I think the questions that I had, you know, about the the video and the and the mirrorless, because you had commented on them, but you're kind of at the front end of exploring both of those options. So I appreciate you taking the time to kind of let let us and let our listeners know how things have gone. I appreciate the invite, guys. You well, know, I think I, you need I, to be on like every quarter. Be, we need to have be a the chance. last one. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. I just love yakking. I mean, you can see I'll I'll be on here till midnight <laughs> with you guys. You know, but but yeah, it's fun and and uh, I do have to get with you. You know, those prairie chickens and sage grouse from the guy on the left, and some of those uh, caribou and rut and all that stuff on the right there. Yeah, I got to make more time for 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 me. You know, to go out and, and do some of the things that I really want to do, and uh, you know. Um, sometimes you take the groups, it is a little bit different, you know, they're the priority, not, not me. So right. you know, I recognize that fact, but it will be nice just to go out for me. Well, you know, if yeah. you, if you do take September off, like you said, and you get a little like two or three weeks with the granddaughters, there's that extra week that we can certainly yeah, fill yeah. up for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We got the big moose ruts happening and, That's uh, right. yeah. And the, yeah. I know about Food, it. Doll sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. And, and mosquitoes are gone. Yep. So, yeah. Right. No transfusion. Yeah, people ask, you know, it's like some of the chips that we do, I said, what's your blood type? And they're like, what's that for? I said, well, you'll find out. So, yeah. <laughs> if you're out there and you hear the sucking sound, you know, what the hell, man? It's <laughs> yeah. horrible. For the transfusion, yeah. You can't yep. change lenses. You get more damn mosquitoes stuck in your bodies, and, uh, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't even try. I just yeah. I, I just suffer through whatever lens is on there, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. My it's wife and I it. went up to Maine in June one time to photograph, uh, you know, moose calves. And we had, we had head nets and scarves wrapped around because I couldn't stand the incessant buzzing in my ears. And she looked at me and I looked at her and I said, you know, I just don't need the picture this bad. Let's get the hell out of here, man. So we just turned around. I mean, it was insane. And plus, every picture you took, it looked like a black cloud over it. Right, right. Those moose were in the water for a reason, right? Just you, billions of flies and mosquitoes. And oh, man. We had that problem at Lake Clark. And I know you photograph out of Lake Clark, too. It's. It, and it's not mosquitoes. It's those white socks or little flies. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it was that situation where you're like, hey, it's just not worth it. I just, I'm just so, my mind is not on what I'm doing. It's on these bugs and it's just killing me. Yeah, yeah. I pray for wind. Well, yeah, those best. little white socks, man. Those are, I, I think if you took a picture on a microscope, it's just like little wings, socks, and teeth. I think that's all <laughs> that's there. It's just, it's like a straw. It got teeth and then the other end, man. It's, yeah. Evil. Evil, evil creatures. Evil, evil. Well, thanks yeah. so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We are going to have you on again. We'll set it up for like uh, 
we should do like September, October after you've had all this fun all summer long. Yeah. Thank you, Chaz, for taking the time to share your experiences from your recent trips afield and your perspectives with us and our audience. You can view more of Chaz's work in the show notes for today's podcast on our website and links to more of his content can be readily found there. You can see more of our podcast team's work on our social media feeds on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at wildandexposed.com. A very special thank you to our talented and hardworking producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes. And remember that no matter which podcast platform that you're listening to us on, or if you're watching our show on YouTube, to make sure to hit that subscribe and follow button. It's free, and to give us a positive review, a five-star rating or a thumbs up, as those allow us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.